Welcome in to this Five Clubs Conversation. I'm Gary Williams. As always, thanks for taking the time to be with us this week. Well, this week, the conversation is going to be with a guy who is among the top 50 players in the world of golf. And he's 37 years of age. And, you know, he's come a long way in the last decade. And that is Kevin Kisner. He was on the United States President's Cup team in 2017. He's won four times on the PGA Tour. But most importantly, Kevin is a righteous dude. He's going to give you his thoughts and his opinions on anything as it pertains to his career, the PGA Tour, the game of golf, the future of the game, whatever it may be. And I really enjoy talking to him because he is unfiltered. When he has something to say, he's going to say it uh, in a way that is completely authentic and totally honest. With that, we welcome in Kevin Kisner. Kevin, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Gary. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Listen, I really appreciate it. Love hearing your thoughts on a lot of stuff. Uh, let's get to, like, right now with you. 37 years of age. Um, are you in a sweet spot as far as golf and life? I think I'm in in, in the sweet spot. Uh, just grateful for what I've accomplished and grateful for the opportunities still to lie ahead. And, uh, you know, I, I if I could have drawn it up 15 years ago when I started, it's probably exactly gone to plan. So, not many people in this world can can say that. So I'm very blessed to be able to to accomplish a lot of things I want to, to see a lot of things. And then obviously the family side's been spectacular with three healthy children. You know, Kevin, it's interesting. You mentioned that 15 years, turning pro in 2006, you got your card, you're out there for two years. In those two years in 11 and 12, you combined, you made about $500,000 roughly. And then you, you had to go back to the Corn Ferry Tour. You won in Chile. Uh, you get your card back, and then you rip off years, uh, 3.4, 2.9, 4.7, 3.4, and I'm talking in millions. What was it? What was it that happened? Was it psychological? Was it technical that, that you turned a corner and made the big pivot? Well, I owe a lot of it to John Tillery to help me with my technical side on the golf swing. I, I never was a great ball striker. I just had a lot of grit and, and knew how to get the ball in the hole. But I, I never had a lot of instruction growing up. I just played and, and competed and gambled and tried to beat people I was playing with. And when I got on tour, I realized that that wasn't going to be good enough. So uh, I think, you know, golf's just like any other business. Experience is key. And the more experience you have, the better you get and, and the easier things become. So I think the experience of those two years and going back to the Corn Ferry and realizing that I'm better than than what I performed up to that point was huge and and super helpful for my career. So when I got the opportunity to go back, you know, I had way more confidence in my in my technical side and I had the experience on my side. So I think the two combined really helped me take off. And 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 you well aware that the PGA Tour once once you start skyrocketing it up and you get in these bigger tournaments, you don't want to you don't want to miss those tournaments. So um you know they they have it set up to where you succeed it, it's easier to succeed and i think that's what's been been helpful for my career that is such a great point and it's huge for people to understand the more you achieve the more production you have i think the more insulated you become in terms of the schedule you can make the events that have no cuts you show up you're getting points it's like a speakeasy you're playing you know you're playing playing poker with somebody else's money um did, did that did you have to experience that to realize how beneficial that was going to be? Well, you know, I, I kind of went from a nobody to all the way in the top 50 in the world overnight. So it was something that all of a sudden my agents called me and tell me I'm in the majors. I'm in this world golf championship. I'm in this tournament. We got to change your entire schedule. And, 
and you know it all culminated so quickly for me that uh you know I, it was a perfect storm because i was playing well so I, I started getting in these bigger tournaments as i'm playing well and i have the confidence so uh for me it was a, it was a perfect escalation of the career where you know, I, I tell people it's like a union. Once you get in, it's hard to get out. And once you get in that top 50 in the world, if you continue to play well and you have the confidence, it's, it's hard to mess it up when you when you have so many of these invitationals and bigger events with no cuts. Like you said, uh, you know, you play well in those, it just keeps spiraling and spiraling and, and, and your career keeps taking off. You know, the, the sidestep to go back to the Corn Ferry Tour, it wasn't like, you, you know, the game hadn't kicked you in the teeth before. I remember you sharing a story uh, with some juniors about your college experience being being really, really good, really, really early, and then all of a sudden you turn around and you can't break 80. Did that experience and, and the humility of what the game can do to you, did that help you when you had to kind of sidestep and go back? Oh, no doubt. You know, this is the most hum humbling game there is, in my opinion. You As soon as you think you're on top, uh, something, something random will happen and smack you in the face. But one of my favorite sayings along those lines is you're, you're never as far off as you think you are and you're never playing as good as you think you are. So when it's going great, you think you'll never play poorly again. And when you're shooting 75, you think you'll never shoot 67 again. And, and the next week you can win. So um, kind of like this past year, you know, I never played great this past year. I had a couple top tens. I was very erratic with my, with my game, which has not been the, the, the mo the last five years and all of a sudden i'm, I'm in a seven-man play or six-man playoff at the window championship at the end of the season so uh you got to be prepared for for when the time comes on this tour that you know you, you just got to keep telling yourself like last week at the cj cup i, I thought i was playing great and i finished 50th i, I never shot over paul i mean <laughs> shoot 12 unders finished 50th i just never got it going you know what i mean and and you just got to remind yourself that you're gonna play well at some point you just got to be prepared to to, to handle it when you are playing well and I think that's the biggest key in golf yeah Lucas Glover used the term everybody gets sizzled uh every now and then you can't avoid getting zapped by the game when you know it when you're dealing with it can you see it even though you're you're focused on you when you're with other guys that have been on a good run and they're in a flow and all of a sudden it goes the other way can you see it can you feel it emanating from them when you're when you're going well, you know you hit a cart path and it hits a tree and then bounces on the green and you make birdie and, and the same shot, you know, six months later when things are going poorly, hits the tree and goes out of bounds and and it's just how you react to those those situations. I think is what will bode you well for the rest of your year or your career. And and when you've been out there, like I said, you know, this is my 11th season. You've seen it all, so you got to be you got to just take your experience, know what you do well, and continue to grind on those things and wait for your weeks. I think the weeks that you know you got it, you got to really get after it. Um, you mentioned about wanting to beat people and that you were inclined to want to gamble, just beat people, not focus on the technical. Where did that come from? Well, my dad was a golfer and he loved to go play, uh, you know, on the weekends. And when I was a kid, he used to give me $5 to go to the golf course. And that's what I, you know, if I came home with zero, I had no, no money. So I, <laughs> I learned how to, to turn that $5 into 20 and get things that I wanted. And that was a, it was a cool experience. So uh, I still have, I still have guys here at the Palmetto golf club that I grew up, you know, older men that say that I used to fight them tooth and nail for a dollar on a putting contest or closest to the pin on anything. And I think that just kind of culminated into my, how my uh, competitive nature has come out. You know, I, I mentioned that junior event. I, I remember you standing up in front of 54 of the best juniors from around the world. And the first thing you said to them was, 
Um, I hope you guys know that 64 played off in the Monday qualifier in Houston. Get you some of that. And I'm thinking, good <laughs> God, what an icebreaker. What, but what, why? <laughs> and I'm thinking, what, why did he say that? And I'm thinking to myself, I know exactly why he said it. Don't ever think that this game owes you something, that you're right. entitled to something in this game. Was that essentially what you were trying to express? A hundred percent. And I, I want the kids to understand how hard it is that just because you're winning the Sage Valley Junior Invitational doesn't mean you're going to be playing in the Wyndham Championship next year. And uh, it's the most what have you done for me lately game there is. And, uh, you know, guys, guys can fall off the wagon and, and you don't hear from them anymore. And if you don't continue to to progress and and, uh, you know, continue to do the things that you do well, it can just boggle you up. So. I, if the kids come out expecting things, I just think they're going to get killed early. You see it every year with these guys that come out of college and get the five or six sponsor exemptions and never make a cut, and then their career spirals the wrong way. And I think it's such a hard thing for us to do in our game is, is to, you know, between agents and, and how we do things is we build these kids up and you're going to be great, and then they come get their teeth kicked in, and how do you respond is how your career is going to end up going. You know, Kevin, there's so many Georgia guys, and you guys obviously – you're coming from a system where there is an inherent competition around you, guys that, that believe that they're the best. I think that that is a great culture uh, to be in as, as, as prep. Um, but when you're around guys like that, you're also supposed to be rooting for them to some degree. I've always found that dynamic about college golf to be such a challenge. Were you challenged by that? Well, that's what I tell people all the time. The, the greatest part about my career in Athens was that you, nothing was given to you. Every week we qualified, no matter what. And we took the top five. It didn't matter if the worst five players qualified, they got to go on that trip, even if the coach didn't want to take them. He's like, that's the deal, qualify better. And it really teaches you because in every step of the game, you qualify. You, qual you Monday qualify, you qualify at tour school, you qualify to make the cut. Every step of the game is qualifying and, and – I think these college coaches are doing an injustice to the kids when they just hand pick them to go because they know they're the better player. And in reality, it doesn't prepare them for what's to come. The, um, they've got PGA Tour University now. There's more college events on television, uh, not just the NCAAs. I, there's one that's going on right now in Arkansas. Uh, kids are getting more acclimated to what it's like to play on television. Uh, to, to, and now they can even make a little bit of money with name, image, and likeness. Do you think in the 15 years from when you turned professional that overall kids are more prepared now, or is it the same? Way more prepared, in my opinion. Uh, I think the tour has set up the university program to help their brand, right? They got to take care of their future product model. Uh, and they, uh, they realize that the corn ferry may not be the perfect way to prepare these kids for what is about to come on the, on the PGA tour. And so to get in, get in front of them early on, uh, starting to prepare them for what's to come, I think is just a, a way to protect their future product. And I think these kids, you know, every one of them walks around with a track man or a quad and their protein shakes. And, and, uh, you know, they have you know, sports sites and teachers and, and, you know, people more on their team when they're 18 than I've ever had. So, uh, the game's changed, and the game's all about distance now and how far can you hit it. And You know, I was talking to uh, the Callaway reps who, who are out recruiting these kids, and, and they say basically their, their only question is what is their ball speed. And, and that's just an amazing change, dramatic change from when I was a kid. And I ask this question all the time, like when you're talking about when I talk to these kids, how, ma how many times have you ever taken a lesson where the guy asked you to swing faster? You know, I, I grew up and nobody ever told me to swing faster. It was all about – 
be on plane, have the proper grip, set up, hit it in the fairway, go find it, chip and putt really well. And now all the kids, all I see him like, my kid, he's never going to hit anything but a driver on the range. You know, just hit driver and we'll go play. And I'll teach you how to hit a seven iron at a later date. Um, so it's just a whole whole difference in, in, in the model, in my opinion. I want to talk more about distance, but I, I want to touch on something you mentioned about protecting their future product. If you were on the Corn Ferry Tour, would it piss you off if, if college kids were getting spots and you're busting your ass to be in these events week to week? I don't think it would because you have ample opportunity. You know, every week out there, you can go win three events in a row and come straight to our tour. So I think, you know, it's just a dog-eat-dog world, and the better you play, the more chances and opportunities you're going to have, and the system will cycle and throw you out when you play poorly. And I think, uh, you know, it's what to be expected. Uh, we've changed the model where you can't come straight to the tour on the tour school, so the Corn Ferry Tour is going to be kind of the holding pattern, and uh, the tour is going to do what's best for them to keep, keep the best talent that's up and coming the best chance to come on the PGA Tour because that's what how they make their money and how we all make our money. So I, I think they have to understand that and, and they have ample opportunity to beat these kids. They should be more well-prepared. They're older, have more experience, and they should be beating them. The, um, the overriding refrain is distance is a problem in the game. Um, and I struggle with that because I don't think it is. I think it's a challenge at the elite level to figure out how to set up a golf course where there's equity between someone who's skilled at hitting fairways and a guy who's got enormous speed and can drive it 330 yards. Do you think that distance is a problem in the game or it's just a challenge at the professional level? No, I think distance has come about because of analytics. Guys have, have, you know, we have way more stats guys and guys that's really smart people that have studied the game to figure out the easiest way to play. And I was practicing with Victor Hovland this past spring, right before Augusta at Sage Valley. And I was hitting balls in front of him so i just kept noticing out of the corner of my eye he was almost falling down hitting drivers and i turned around finally i was like what are you doing he's like just doing my speed drills and he's like come over here and hit one so i hit a normal one let's say i swung at 110 miles an hour and he's like all right hit one as fast as you can and i did 117 and he said well why don't you do that every time i said because did you see the ball flight it's like spinny and didn't look right and he's like it's just a math problem kids the closer you are to the hole the lower your score is and that's the way these kids think and and for me, that's just a dramatic change from the way I was taught the game. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a skill that these kids are, are possessing and learning at an early age is, is speed and, and distance. And I think um, I don't think you're going to be able to control it with golf courses. I, I, the only way to control it is to make the golf courses more difficult for them. You know, I talked to Mike Davis before he left at Wingfoot and I said, you know, why don't you make it two inches of rough up to 280 and nine inches of rough from 285 to 340? and see what happens then. If these guys really want to challenge you on a distance thing, that would make them try to hit it far and in the fairway. But the guys that are, you know, trying to play it in the fairway, they have a chance from 280. I had no chance of wing foot. If I missed the fairway by a foot and had five iron in, whereas Bryson was hitting it, you know, 340 and have a wedge 20 yards in the rough, we're playing out of the same stuff, and, and he's going to beat me 100 times in a row. You know, the Bryson thing is interesting because – he deserves a hell of a lot of credit. I think it's extraordinary uh, what he's done in, in terms of his transformation, not only in terms of his mindset, the body, all of it. I, I think it's taken for granted to some by people like, well, he hits along with Jesus. It's, it's remarkable that, that, he can, that he can find the property swinging at that speed, maintaining it, Kevin, day after day, and the preparation that goes with it. Is he a revolutionary type of 
individual in terms of what he has done singularly to the approach to the game? There's no doubt. And, and it's only going to transform the next mile. You know, it's like Tiger Woods showing up, working out all the time. Then the next thing, you know, everybody used to smoke cigarettes and eat cheeseburgers <laughs> on tour when Tiger showed up. Now they're all, you know, walking around with their protein shakes and track mans. The next thing you know is they're going to be falling down on the range, every one of them trying to see how far they can get it. The greatest thing I think that Bryson does is he's hitting shots that are not fit for the golf course and finding his ball in the fairway. I think it's amazing how straight he's hitting the golf ball and fitting it into areas that are not designed to be played from, you know, like walkways up to greens and stuff that he's driving it in and continuing to hit it straight enough to play from there. I, I just think it's been, uh, unbelievable. I wish I had that skill. I would I would be walking around swinging driver on every tee shot. You know, Rory, you mentioned Wingfoot. He admitted at Wingfoot that he started he was chasing him. Psychologically he was affected by what Bryson was doing. Finau is is even said, listen, I'm I, I was in pursuit. Uh, he motivated me. Do you think guys though that are thirty and beyond um, look, he is a rare, rare talent uh, to do this as, and as quickly as he did it. Do you think that guys can achieve stuff like that after the age of 30? I don't know that you'll ever gain the speed that he's gained, but you got to also think the time component he has. He has no wife, no kids. Yep. He can literally spend all day, bring his team around, and work on it. If he had to walk around in my boots for a week at home, <laughs> there's no chance he would be swinging at 130 miles an hour just because he doesn't have the time to do it. I remember some, I think it was Detroit a couple of years ago, he was beating me in the last group and they wanted me to stay around. And I was like, there's no way he's not going to birdie one of these last three holes and beat me. I'm headed to the airport. And they're like, well, what do you think he needs to do? And I said, he needs to get some kids and see if he still hits it that far. <laughs> I, I, You know, it's a, it's a really good point. The other thing about him is my my perception of him is that he's manic, that he is he's crazy possessed by the game, and that's great that, that he is he is literally, you know, obsessed with the pursuit of figuring this thing out to a degree that maybe nobody else has. How sustainable is that for 10 or 15 years? Well, I think he's done it the right way where he's, he started with his body first to prepare prepare for what he was going to do. Um, I, think, um, he, I think it's very sustainable, but, you know, as his life changes, uh, we'll see how much practice and, and time he can continue to maintain those speeds. And then just like Tiger went from the furthest driver for 30 years or 30 yards for 15 years to now people are bombing it by him. You got to transform your game a little bit as your age goes up to figure out how you can still compete. And I think he'll do that. Who, uh, whose approach do you admire? Who do you look at if you take any time at all and go, shit, I love the way he does it. Yeah. I love Xander Shoffley's approach. I think he, uh, he has a solid team. He keeps the same team around him. He really works hard. And he goes about goes about things the right way with the right attitude. And I played with him last week at a CJ Cub, and he didn't play great on Saturday with me, but then he shot nine under on Sunday. Just just a testament to if you continue to do the right things and you stay focused on the process, that the results are going to come. And and I think his his entire work ethic and the way he goes about it is a testament to to what he uh, to how his career's gone. You know, you you have you've showed up at places, and I don't I don't think it's a defeatist attitude. It's just an honest assessment of your chances. Do you have to pick your spots? No matter how good I can putt, I have to have. You know, there's weeks I show up where I know if I don't finish top five strokes game putting, it's not going to be a super successful week. And there's other weeks I show up and I know if I have an average putting week, a top twenty or twenty five, I'll be in there with a chance to win. And those 
those are kind of my preparation, which it becomes increasingly more difficult when you have to put that much pressure on your putting uh, compared to I just got to hit it far because I know I can hit it far every day. I may not be able to find it. I can hit the same putt every day from 12 feet and only 60% go in. Yep. So uh, it, it, it's you just got to ride the ways and understand what you do well, I think. In a profession where winning is an infrequent experience, is winning a skill? Oh, for sure. It, it takes it takes luck in the variance, first of all. Uh, you can, Like I said, you can do the same things this week as you did last week and it have completely different outcomes. So the variance is a big, big part of it. But when you get in the situation, you know, I always tell people when I have a chance to win, you know it with five holes to go. And you either, one, step up and, and continue to go, or there's weeks where it just doesn't work out. And I think the, the biggest skill that people need to know about winning on the PGA Tour is there's no backup. I remember, you know, Johnny Miller always used to talk about choking. <laughs> I haven't seen somebody choke in 10 years on the PGA Tour. And when I have the lead or I'm around the lead, every time I get to the next hole and look at the board, I'm amazed. The top three guys all made birdie or – two out of the three, birdie two of the last three, and I've gone from thinking I've, I'm winning to now I'm one back. And it, it's amazing to me that how much these guys stay on the gas pedal when it's you, coming down the wire. You know, Azinger, it, the thing he said about choking, his belief is that you, you, choke for, you guys choke for two reasons if you do it at all. It's money, it's cash, or it's prestige. Do you believe that? I just have a hard time with the money deal because I've never once stood on a tee with a chance to win and said, if I don't do this, I'm not going to win a million bucks. I just never have. It's never crossed my mind, the money side. Um, the prestige, I, I don't really get caught up in that, but I may be different than a lot of guys. Uh, I want to win to hold trophies and, and to show off to my family that I could do what all the hard work I've put in, you know, accomplish what I was working towards. Uh, I, I don't want to win so I can go on your show and show you my trophy that that's not what I want to do I want to win to to prove to myself and my family that all the time and energy and effort that I've put into to what I've done to what I'm trying to accomplish happened and and hard work pays off I think it's a great lesson for my children and and as they're getting older like just the win them they they were so excited and, and so much different than my previous wins because they got to experience it and they understand that, hey, dad's gone again, but there's there's a reason why dad's gone or why dad can't go to my soccer game tonight is because he's working and that's what he's working for. You know, one, one thing that I've thought uh, as it pertains to you, and I don't think it's I don't think it's because of what your skill set is. You inherently have a, a grit and a grind and I'm going to dig in when it's time to go to work. You've even said this in the hobby. It's a job um, who plays broke, who goes out there every day and you think that they've got a water bill that they've got to pay? Well, I think all of them do now. I mean, it's a, it's a straight money grab. We're playing for so much money, and with the new media rights deals coming into effect, the money's only going to go up. And, uh, you know, guy, guys are, are as fiery as I've ever seen on the PGA Tour and, and excited. And, you know, one of, one of the aspects that is interesting this year is we've had graduations from the Corn Ferry Tour for the first time in two years. So yep. there's a lot of new faces. A lot of kids that are are prepared. They've had two years to get out here, and they're mad that they missed out on opportunity, and they're ready to come kick your butt and take your spot. So um, it's it's amazing how good the level of play has gotten. I mean, look at last week that I shot twelve under and finished fifty fourth. So uh, I know it was not a, a hard test of golf course, but I, I'd be hard pressed to say an amateur or a zero handicap would have ever shot under par around there, and. and you know, I could hardly make a check at, at 12 under after four days. So 
Uh, I think the preparation and and all these guys, how fiery they are, is only going to breed more success and more high-level play for the entire PGA Tour. You know, Kevin, you mentioned the media rights and, and you know, look, the, the, new, the new deals, it's more money. Uh, the amount of money being put into the FedEx Cup, the bonus pool, uh, this, this PIP. See, to me, that, that is, at least in the last year, is a reflection of what I understand as being an existential threat to the tour, and that is these alternative opportunities to play globally. Um, you're an aware guy. Um, you, you know what's going on. Is that a real threat? Yeah, I think it is a real threat. When you when you talk about people that have the amount of money that some of these people do, you know, money talks and BS walks. And, and when you can throw this amount of money to get something that you're really passionate about uh, getting, it, it, it can happen. Uh, I think the PGA Tour is doing a great job of trying to to squish out any, any competitive threats and, and keep these guys as happy as possible. And, and I think you'll continue to see uh, ways that they're going to try to enhance their model to keep guys playing, you know, without – Without the top 10 in the world, the PGA Tour is not nearly as successful. So they, they need their talent to stay around, and I think they're going to work their butts off to keep them around. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, but Saudi money is stupid money. Um, yep. and, and it seems like there's an inevitability that, that somehow, some way, I don't know what the profile of the fields are going to look like, and you mentioned the top 10, that this is going to happen, don't you think? When there's that amount of money backing it, they can make it happen. The only thing that I've, I've – I haven't wrapped my head around is all the partners that people have off the course and, yeah. and what happens with that. And, and are these people going to be, you know, still paying them to do business with Saudi Arabia or are they going to just end all the, like I have six relation, eight relationships off the course. Am I going to call each one of them? If, if Saudi Arabia, now Saudi Arabia has to pay me enough to call all these and end all those relationships. It's, I, I just think there's so much to work out with that aspect that uh, I, I don't know the time frame, but, I just think that's an interesting dynamic that nobody's talking about. Uh, it's huge. I agree with you. I, you know, the thing about the Saudi stuff is that the United States is so in bed with Saudi money. I mean, if you go to Silicon Valley, that uh, they are covered up uh, with with Saudi money. But yet, if you guys entertain the idea of being a part of this, you're going to look as if you are you're you know you're complicit with with an, a regime that people look at and go god your human rights uh, record is awful uh right. but but you guys you're right this is going to be a big problem yeah I, I don't know what the future holds with that you know i've heard for the last year that people are announcing they're going with them for every week for the last year and i haven't seen one yet but the only the only way i see it is if a top player goes i think it'll be a domino effect to see uh that that will happen with the players but you know what if they all commit tomorrow and then Jay says you can't play in any more tour events, and another a Saudi league event doesn't happen for two years. Where are they going to play? What are they going to do? How are they going to? You know, is Saudi Arabia going to continue to pay them, or this league continue to pay them until they have an event? I, I have a hard time trusting that. Do you watch golf on TV? Because I, you know, I mean, do you do you spend an hour watching televised golf? It, it's hard for me to do when I'm home because I have. Uh, I have kids and I have so much going on here with the foundation and other things. I, it was funny you asked that. I played a practice round with Jordan and Ricky and Justin Thomas at the CJ Cup. Yep. And I asked them on the first green if they played together in the Ryder Cup, Justin and Jordan. <laughs> and they were like, what? And I was like, did y'all pair up? Did they pair y'all? I mean, y'all are best buds. I figured they would. And they're like, you didn't watch? I said, no, I didn't have time to watch the Ryder Cup. I can pull up my app and see y'all are kicking their ass, but I didn't have time to watch. <laughs> 
They just um, could not believe that I didn't watch it. Well, I kind of can't either. Just out of curiosity <laughs> that you would kick it on for a half an hour. You didn't watch one second of it? I flew to the Colorado and went, went elk hunting. It's hard, it's hard to watch Ryder Cup in the mountains. No, I saw that. I saw you gave the gift of death to a huge elk. Uh, yes, sir. Who did you go out there with? I went with Brian Harmon and a couple other buddies that uh, have gone for years. It was my first time. Brian's been the last three years, so we had a big time. Um, I, I, since you don't watch, it's not really a reasonable question to ask. Do you think that the tour is, is presented in a good way? Because, like, you don't announce fines. I think you guys are kind of insulated, protected. You know, I think that the image of the tour matters a great deal to the guys who run it. Do you think that the tour is presented well as, as it pertains to all the other sports that are out there? See, I kind of like the secretive side of it. You know, not everything's on the sports center bottom line. I think that makes us more elite and makes us more uh, more quantifiable with sponsors. People want to be a part of something that, you know, not our business is not splattered on the wall for everyone to see and read. And, you know, I don't want to read about Kyrie Irving's COVID vaccination status all the time. And, <laughs> And neither do you, you know, it just doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. And, and at the end of the day, it's all about the product model and what you're displaying. And if really good guys are, are competing for a win, just like this past week, Ricky Fowler and Rory McIlroy, you couldn't ask for a better, better group of guys competing, playing mm -hmm. unbelievable golf. That's what sells for us. And I think that's a good light for us to, to continue to, to showcase to the world. Yeah, you mentioned your foundation. I want to ask you, look, when you get to a position where you, you have a profile, uh, you have a chance to impact people, I always believe if you've got a soul, if you have depth, you never forget where you came from. Even if you leave where you came from, you haven't. Um, trying to impact people in that area. What's the most important thing that you and Brittany try to do as far as your messaging? Well, we want people to understand that I've been blessed to have the platform to be able to raise money to help others. That's what, you know, my biggest thing is like, I don't want people to, I'm not doing this for the fame or the, the articles in the paper. I'm doing it to actually make a difference in the community. And, you know, it, it's a lot of work and, and we don't want people to, to think that, uh, you know, we're ever complaining about how much work it is, but it's a ton of work and, and a lot of effort. You know, Brittany's always working on that foundation. Our event's coming up in a few weeks and we just left a meeting with our executive director, you know, trying to plan. I got 20 tour players flying in here, musicians doing the whole nine yards. It, it's like throwing a wedding every year for an event. But the, the proof's in the pudding. When you give back to your community and you can actually physically touch and see mm -hmm. a change that you're doing, it's, it's worth every penny. And, and uh, you know, we, we are blessed to have a lot of local support. And all our money goes back into the local area. My, my off-course sponsors have been fantastic supporters, even though they're not from this area. And I just think that's so cool that they support my career and they support our philanthropic efforts. And uh, it's, it's just a cool thing. You know, I never when I was first got on tour in, in 2009, 10, I, I never dreamed that I would be able to have a foundation. I probably didn't even know what a foundation was. Uh, and then to uh, the next thing I know is they're telling me they're giving me a charitable uh, donation from the President's Cup and, and I need to start a foundation so I could or I need to tell them who I want to give it to. And so. Uh, from those efforts, you know, it's turned into a, a multi-million dollar foundation that is giving away, you know, over $600,000 to our local community and, and making bigger splashes in the future. So it's, it's a really cool deal. It's a ton of work, but uh, I really enjoy the, the actual impact that you make. Are you ever hesitant, reluctant to, to make the ask of your, your peers, your buddies uh, to carve out the time to come and support you in the way that they're going to? 
Well, I'm also blessed that uh, Wheels Up is an off-course sponsor, so they sure make it a lot easier on, <laughs> on that aspect. So, so so this year I'm flying guys from Houston on Sunday night. They're flying into Sage Valley. We play Monday morning, then I fly them on down to the RSM. So you try to make it logistically where it's helpful for the guys and it's not much much of an ask. When you get to the position you're in, you have choices. Uh, and I'm curious about one of your sponsors, because I'm now aligned to some degree uh, with the great folks at Stansbury Research, you know, and, and you're smiling because they're like minded and it has nothing to do with what they do for a living. Um, is that is that why that relationship works for you? For sure. Well, when you build a product model that you try to find off-course partners, you want not only off-course partners that align with you morally and, and what you like to do off the course, but you want each partner to like each other too. You can't have com competing threats against each other. And so we try to build a whole product off of that. And Stansbury fits perfectly. They're the, they're the greatest guys. They, they will, uh, they will come to anything I ask them to come to do. they they just love to hang out and they love golf and they're passionate about it. And, They've been one of the best partners that you could ever ask for. I mean, when I played in the BMW, they hosted me at their, they're from Baltimore. So they hosted me at their farm and we did dinners every night and, and had a big week. And they're just awesome guys. They come down to my foundation event every year and, and give us a bunch of money and have a big time. And, you know, it's just, it's really cool when you start aligning people that, that you like off the course it makes that relationship so much easier. You know, I can call those guys at Stansbury right now and say, Hey, I need this and, and they'll take care of it. Or they can call me and vice versa. And it never feels like a work relationship, but I think that's what's so cool about them. By the way, you took my guest house. I've stayed in that, that guest house on the farm and they're like, Kevin's staying there. I'm like, why? Cause he's won a world <laughs> golf championship. I mean, I stayed in that thing for the uh, member guest at caves. I didn't want to leave every morning. I'm like, Jamison, why are you picking me up? Come an hour no, later. No. No doubt, man. I mean, I it was like the perfect storm for me. I had a I had a side-by-side -side vehicle parked outside and a 100-acre farm to ride around and look at animals every night. And then he would be like, all right, we're about to have dinner. I'd go up and the chef served me dinner every night. How, how much better could you, could you have it? <laughs> you can't. A uh, couple things before I let you go. Um, I, 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 I'm interested by who people spend time with. And, you know, you mentioned Thomas and Ricky uh, and, and Jordan. You know, Ricky is kind of split between you and, and Jordan and Justin in terms of your vintage, your age. Why do you think that, that you guys make sense as far as being friends the way that you are? Well, we all love to compete and gamble against each other. We love to rib and, and talk a bunch of shit to each other. That's, that's one aspect that's really great. And, you know, I, they always laugh at me. Duff, Duff's kind of in that group too, and they call us the old men. So it's like they uh, they ask us for advice on things as, as we're going along. And uh, you know, I don't know. I like to to stay young, so I like to hang out with the young guys. I want to uh, I want to see what they tell me. I remember when TikTok came out, they were making me download TikTok on my phone. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was, and so they they keep me up to date on all the things I need to know and. Uh, they're, they're a lot of fun to be around. They're, they're way more golf junkies than I ever was, but uh, I try to tell them that there's a lot of other things out there to, that we can do and have fun together than just play golf. You know, Kevin, one thing I think, and, and this is just, uh, just a random observation, whether it be you or Duffner, I think those guys love you. One reason is that you're, they have a responsibility to, like, never say anything. Uh, you know what I mean? And you oh, don't give sure. a shit. You're just going to say what you think. And I think they love that. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, 
you know, there's plenty of times where they've been like, don't worry, kids, kids will take care of that for us. Don't worry about that. Kids, kids has that. And, and they know I will. And, and that's fine. You know, I, I, I love being able to, to speak right from the chest and, you know, they're superstars. I'm not. And, and that's what I like about where I am in life and where they are. And, and they want to hang out because I'm funny and I'll, you know, I'll treat them just like they're one of my buddies at home where they have people treating them like, there's some superstar all the time. I don't really give a shit if they're a superstar or not. I'm still going to treat them the same. Uh, let me leave you with this. The, the, the line, this ain't no hobby, is great. Uh, I yeah. think it's, it's, a, it's a cold dose of reality for people who, who think that this is hitting giggles. Um, do you have a finish line? Do you, can you see where your finish line is? Yeah, man. I, I, you know, I tell people all the time, I don't want to be in a, in a Hilton Garden Inn by myself in, in – <laughs> Illinois while my daughter's you know going to prom or my son's playing in his first big baseball game I, I don't see that and I think one of the things I talk to Jay Monahan all the time about is the transition of the tour with the amount of money we're making now compared to our previous generation you know is Jordan Spieth at 45 going to be playing the tour with 100 million dollars probably not and at some point you know, I want to be able to hang out with my family and say, I've washed my hands of that. It was great. And I'll, it's time to move on to something else. So my end game is, is when my kids have had enough of me traveling, I've had enough of me traveling by myself that uh, I'll come home and hang out with them. With you saying that, let me just ask you this one last thing, because I, I don't understand it. People who love sports, they never complain by and large about contracts that are signed guaranteed contracts for hundreds of millions of dollars by NBA players, Major League Baseball players. But for whatever reason, they think that the money in golf's a problem, as if that's going to soften you guys or, or you're, your edge is going to be, you know, dulled because of that. I think that's ridiculous. Do you? Yeah, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I went to Vegas for two weeks and I made $20,000, so I probably came home with a negative four to $6,000 for the two weeks. And I didn't even do it crazy. I flew commercial. I stayed in the house. I paid all my employees and ate dinner and rented a car. Probably spent 20 grand, 24 grand. And people don't realize that when, when, you know, these basketball or baseball players, they show up to the facility and have no idea where they're even playing the next night. And they have a plane waiting for them, a hotel. They don't even pack their own bags. So it's just a whole different model. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're far underpaid, if anything. Well, listen, I, I hope the event, and I know it will be great. You, you know, you got great support from all your buddies who are going to come in. I uh, hope you and Brittany have a, a fabulous event to raise money for that area that you love so much. Thank you so much, buddy. You too, Gary. Thanks for having me on, and best of luck with the podcast, man. I hope it's great. Anytime you want to have me on, let me know, and uh, tell Jameson that he owes you one. Thank you, buddy. Well, thanks again to Kevin Kisner for taking the time Love having the conversation with him, whatever the subject matter may be. Most importantly, thanks to you guys for taking the time to listening to this Five Clubs conversation. Next week, a former world number one, a dominant number one, two-time major champion and a member of the World Golf Hall of Fame, Greg Norman, will be with us next week on Five Clubs. For all of us here, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week.